Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. We thank you, Father, for the ministry that you're already doing, for the words that you're already speaking, for the life that you're already breathing into people. We pray that your spirit will continue to work, renew, refresh, reveal, heal, restore. In the name of Jesus, amen. Um, it's not very good for live streaming. We know you're not meant to have dead air on live TV or radios, <laughs> but we believe that God is bigger than time and space, yeah? So um, we trust that that continues to be a practice that we can grow in and develop in, and maybe you've grown and developed and gone into a space where you're able to sit quietly for five or ten minutes and just really enjoy the presence of God. To highlight the sense of struggle that we can have, I was uh, driving home, uh, no, not driving home, back to the office after an early morning appointment. Uh, I was at the uh, Capital Bistro uh, for my appointment uh, on the corner of Firebrace and Hamilton, out of a Callahan's parade. And look, usually, as I was thinking about, I was coming up, heading whatever direction that is. Is that east? Um, uh, is that right? Yeah, good. I've been practising. Um, heading east and I was going to turn south to come down uh, Urquhart Street and uh, then a Callahan's Parade over the bridge and back to the office. Now, that was probably the most effective, the most efficient, the most straightforward way to drive home. But as I approached the roundabout here on the corner of Urquhart and Hamilton Streets, uh, there was a garbage truck turning right. That was way too slow. So I decided that instead of turning right, I would uh, cross over Urquhart Street and I would uh, keep travelling uh, east uh, up Hamilton Street and get to this, the high, is that McPherson Street? Is that right? McPherson Street. And uh, I know, um, yeah, I don't know. I still get McPherson and McLaughlin mixed up. All right. I'm sorry, I'm not a local, okay? All right. Um, now, the problem with coming and arriving here at about 8.35, 8.40 uh, in the morning <coughs> is there's a lot of school traffic and a few trucks because that's the bypass of Horsham, if you don't know Horsham as well. So there's a few trucks travelling through here. Now, the other problem with um, arriving at this intersection is that there's other drivers who just don't know how to drive a car. So when they see a space there, they don't go. Um, and because I was turning right, I had to wait for traffic that was heading west, right? So because I have to wait for traffic to come across the road, I'm sitting there, go, 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 go! Or not, we'll just sit a bit longer. That's okay. So instead of turning right, I went straight across McPherson Street. Now, the problem with getting to the corner of Hamilton Street and Robertson Street is that you're still dealing with skilled traffic, and not only now am I turning right, but now I'm not only waiting for the traffic that's coming uh, north up Robinson Street, going past St Bridget's College, but I'm also waiting for the buses turning left, who are also slow. Probably slower than the garbage truck, <laughs> if I had to turn right 
to start with. I eventually made it back to the office. Um, I'm still learning what it is to wait and take the opportunities to catch my breath. And sometimes going slow is okay. Sometimes not being in a rush to be somewhere or get somewhere is quite acceptable. What's it like for you to stop? What's it like for you to rest in God? What's it like for you to sit quietly and wait with God without the expectation of having an answer, without the expectation of getting everything solved, without the expectation of getting the answers to whatever your heart burden or without even expressing you know and that, well, I understand like there are times where we need to express what's happening for us that's the whole um, focus of what this series is about there's times about being in a healthy relationship where we need to express our grief where we need to express our frustration our anger our disappointment our hurt our joys there is times for that but what if that was to come out of a deep well of knowing God and being known by God <clears throat> And being with him, just to be with him, to enjoy and to trust him, to enjoy his love. And essentially, uh, that's our first work. Often, um, and uh, we, I think we've got this, we're in a bit of a confused state. I don't know if confused is the right word, but we've kind of got caught in between, well, I can't always be working and I can't always be stopping. So what does it look like to work with God and for God? And all of that needs to come out of a relationship with God. Our first work, the best work, the deep work, the most life-giving eternal work, and some of what Ben and, and, and Fred have shared with us today is actually to know God and to trust God and to know that we are known by God. That's the best work. John um, writes this in chapter 6 and chapter 14. Um, Jesus says, what must we do to do the work? Sorry, someone asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. We can only live fully alive out of that truth. And even in the brief testimony, and I'm sure there's much more to the story that Ben and Fred could both share, their lives have been, our, and not even just their lives because oh, they've had a, a different life to us, but all of our lives, my life, can be filled up with doing a whole lot of other stuff that we can label for God or out of the consequences of pain and disappointment and hurt relationships, and we lose this work first to believe in the one who was sent. John 14 says, uh, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. So you can see the tension, the, the starting place, the beginning place, the, um, the capacity. There's the work to be done first that is to trust in God, to know his love. And then out of that, we live in obedience to him in the work that he gives us. We can get a bit lost in that. What does it look like then to grow into an emotionally healthy and spiritually mature adult? John 13, uh, Jesus says, A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another.
That's probably as familiar text as John 3.16. And yet it's perhaps the most difficult concept to capture, to get around. We're very good at saying it. We're very good at the theory of it. But the expression of it, we're not always that good at, yeah? We can find that really difficult. Um, and I, even to go further with John 3.16, we can quote John 3.16. We're not always um, as skillful at memorising John 3.17. For God came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And sadly, the church has kind of lost its way and perhaps even lost its voice because as much as we hold on to John 3.16, we've forgotten John 3.17. Between John 3.16 and John 3.17, we've built the spirit of condemnation somewhere. <laughs> Ooh. Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Again, great theory. We know the theory. We know that we could quote the greatest commandment. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything about life, everything about coming out of slavery. Remember, the law comes out of slavery. The law is what God established with the people of Israel when they came out of slavery. This is how I want you to work. This is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to be in relationship with me and with one another. Everything, all of life, eating, sleeping, waking, working, hangs on this. Hangs on this. And even if we don't know or aren't followers of Jesus and we're watching or we're here for the first time, we have this deep longing, we have this deep yearning to be loved and to love someone else. It is placed within us. We all have this understanding, this, this sense that we have a right to be loved. We all want to know that we've got a safe place somewhere, a safe relationship, someone who sees us fully. It's inspiring when we see it in others and it's comforting when we experience it, but it often seems so short-lived and it's never really as romantic as the movies make it out to be. Have you noticed that? Maybe it's just me. But we've also felt the disappointment of loving others and feeling like we don't get much back in return, yeah? And so that, that um, clouds our love, that clouds our capacity to love, that clouds our uh, ability to love, that clouds our desire to love. Because, oh, hang on, I've done this for them, or I've been like that for them, or I've done this so many times, and I'm not getting anything back. All right, yep. And we've all felt that. I've felt that. I've felt that disappointment. And still the call is to love one another, not as Simon loves, not as Andrea loves, not as Jared loves, not as Michael loves, not as Henry loves, not as Heather loves, but as Jesus loves. Not as Rick or Jenny or Dale and Leanne, not as Faye and Neville, not as Brian and Jill loves. That's not our example. That's not our witness. Who is our witness? Who is our example? Jesus. That's our example. 
who went out into the crowds, who went and ate with the tax collectors, who ate with the sinners, knowing that some of them would love the work that he was doing. And there's plenty of evidence throughout Scripture that, oh, this is so exciting. He teaches as one with authority. We've never seen anything like this. And they all ran from him. He knows what it is to give without return. He identifies with the hurt that we feel sometimes when we don't get anything back. And that's why we've got to keep going to Jesus. The uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, developed by uh, Peter and Jerry Scazzaro, a husband and wife team, they've developed a series of questions that help us determine our emotional maturity. Um, so this is the book, and if you haven't got the book uh, yet, I would encourage you, th- just this chapter on its own, um, growing into a uh, loving, mature adult, is worth the book on its own, I think. Um, but in this, and you can go to emotionallyhealthy.org forward slash mature, and you can do this assessment, this questionnaire. Now, some of you are already going, Ugh. Um, and I can understand that. That's fair enough. Because, you know, when you do a questionnaire, it really depends on the mood that you're in, doesn't it? You know, I could be tired or could be grumpy. Andrea upset me yesterday, so that's how I'm going to reflect. Um, my kids upset me. I upset my kids. You know, someone said something. You know, all that affects how I do this assessment. Yeah, that's all there, okay? But if you really wanted to, and essentially, and you've got to understand, Pete and Jerry have done this over research. They've done it over 25 years of research and conversations and refining. So it's not, it's not airy-fairy stuff. It's grounded in biblical concepts and it's grounded in relationships and conversations. And Je- uh, Peter says that there's four different uh, stages of life in emotional health. And these images reflect no one here. Um, any, any likeness of these images, uh, either um, personal or otherwise, is not intentional. What's, what's the disclaimer that murder shows put on the front of their show? That's what we're putting on the front of this. All right, so if you feel like this is you, it's not. We've, it's just cartoon characters. Um, so I, I did this assessment, you know, be a good example, lead well, lead others. I'm not sure if I want to show you. No, I don't want to take a poll either. Thank you. And it comes back and it says, I'm an emotional adolescent. And you think, oh, yeah, that's all right. He's growing. Now you think, he's 50 for crying out loud. Surely he's beyond that. Well, it's only four categories. And that's okay. Until you read, this is what an emotional adolescent looks like. It can be too defensive. Uh, can be threatened and alarmed by criticism, keep score of what they give, deal with conflict poorly, become preoccupied with themselves, difficulty truly listening to another, can be critical and judgmental. I don't want to analyse that too much more than that. Um, Not with you, anyway. Um, (laughs) That's hard to read. It's hard to read. It's even harder to share it with you. And I guess as I reflect on that, I, I would hope that I've grown. The sadness is I thought I had grown <laughs> a little bit more past adolescent. But I suppose, you know. Um, and I think I, I would say that I have grown in some of these. Uh, probably Andrea would say different things as I reflect on this. I think to be critical and judgmental, I would perhaps be the most critical and judgmental of myself because that beats everyone else to it. Um, 
I can, and I think I learned over the last, uh, the last couple of years when, you know, I've heard stories, as we've talked about, I've heard stories of people, um, you know, and our sheer inability, and I, I know I've said this before, and I don't want to keep beating on it, but this is my personal reflection, so I'll get there. Our sheer inability with a lot of people I've had conversations with, when they're ranting and raving at the government, when they're ranting and raving at other people's opinions or the decisions that they've made or the disagreements that we've had about vaccinations and laws and all that sort of stuff. And then when I stop, as, you know, the pastor of the church, the shepherd of the flock, the leader, you know, all that. And then as I say, so what does it look like for you now to love one another as Jesus has loved you? And the conversation strangely stops. And so I did have this period of time where I was going, I'm not sure what on earth I'm doing here when the most basic premise of Christianity, the most fundamental teaching that I think we've done over 20 years, and people who I'd say are mature, so mature followers of Jesus aren't able to get this. That becomes slightly personal, rightly or wrongly. Um, and it do, I do take things personally, especially around criticism or defence, and it does measure how, uh, my energy levels, my mental health, uh, how I manage that, what's happening in the week, all that will affect that. That's all I want to say. I'm almost tempted to take questions, but no, I don't, no. <laughs> um... Oh no, let me go back here. So I think some reflections here, there's, uh, there has been, you know, the last couple of years and even over my lifetime and in ministry, there's been grief. As I've said before, there's been loss of friendships. Uh, it's caused me at different times to become guarded. Uh, I can be afraid of what people say. I can be afraid of failing when things don't go according to plan. I can quickly move from uh, not going according to plan to being a failure. Um, Loss of confidence, particularly over the last few years, I can feel over-responsible that people aren't following Jesus or that people aren't responding. In the, you know, People aren't going across the highway when I think they could go across the highway. People aren't following Jesus in the way that I think they should follow Jesus. Um, I want to see fruit, but the har- you know, I want to see the harvest of seeds that have been scattered and I feel responsible because, you know, I'm the leader. Uh, I feel responsible when it appears to be very barren. And on reflection of all this, it does give me some hope and it does give me permission and even confidence to relax because I'm becoming acutely aware of what I'm responsible for and actually what you're responsible for. (laughs) Praise God at 50. But, you know, you might be further ahead. To grow in emotional health and spiritual maturity, we need to remember the healing work of God, that we are a new creation. And we need to find ways where we can navigate these tensions, these difficulties and these conflicts. And it actually requires a participation because I think there is an element where we say, you know, God does this work. And yes, that is true. God does this work. But we also know that there's a work that we have to do. There's a participation that we have to do. Let us throw off everything that hinders us. Let us throw off everything that might hinder us from loving one another as Christ has first loved us. 
You know that, that sense of weight and that heaviness you feel because you know, you're not getting that return back or you don't feel like you've had the same opportunities or people have disappointed you or you're just carrying a whole lot of pain and hurt. And I know, you know, let us throw it off. There's got to be a participation in that. And let us run with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Can you hear the action that we're actually invited to participate in? Ephesians 4, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We have to choose that on a day-by-day activity. And I don't care what your story is or where you've come from. We all have to choose how we're going to live at some point. Make every effort. Again, the effort, the grace of God, the effort of humanity to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And later on in Ephesians 4, you are taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in the righteousness and holiness. We can see ourselves and one another as people made in the image of God. And if that's our task and that's our call, how do we move from theory to practice? See, one of the, one of the challenges that I think in some of the conversations that you might have, I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know how I should respond. I don't know what God might be calling me into. I feel like God's got more for me, but it's not happening at the moment. How do I pick up on the call of God? And I think what we could do is actually strip it right back and Pete Scazzaro actually invites us to um, ask some very basic questions about our relationships. What does it look like to love? Well, how can I be quick to hear and slow to speak? And I've just written the references up there. This is all in the Version Bible event as well. You can take a photo or ask me to send it to you later or I can send you those later if you like. How can I be angry and not sin? How can I watch my heart above all else? How can I speak the truth in love? How can I be a true peacemaker? How can I mourn? How can I not bear false witness against my neighbour? How can I get rid of all bitterness, rage and envy? So we're often looking for this greater purpose, this greater task. And God says, why don't you just live in relationship with me and see where we walk? Why don't you just learn to love as I have loved you and see where that takes us and see what unfolds out of that. And this, these kind of questions, they cause tension. There's an unsettling and it disrupts the peace to some extent because we have to learn a new way of being, a new way of thinking, a new way of being in relationship Uh, Jesus actually says in Matthew 10, do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. Hey, wait a minute, what? (laughs) Aren't you meant to be the king of peace? The ruler of peace? Yes, he is. But not in the way we often intend. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against a mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Oh, that's hard to read, isn't it? And anyone who has been a follower of Jesus and made this decision to follow Jesus in a household who hasn't chosen to follow Jesus understands that. Muslims worldwide are understanding this. People through the persecuted church understand this. If you stop being a Hindu and you declare Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, this this doesn't bring peace. (laughs) 
this really brings a breaking of some relationships. Jesus is not all nice and cozy. See, if we love well and are called to be peacemakers, how can there be conflict or division? Well, it's because we are to be making peace rather than simply keeping the peace. Keeping the peace will often mean that we define love or describe love as, oh no, that'll be all right, we'll just ignore it, we'll get over it, they'll get past it, it's just the way that they are. Or we conform, or we resist, or we live in fear, or we avoid, or we triangulate. In other words, oh, did you hear what Simon did? Or did you hear what Simon said? Or, you know, whoever you want to put in that. You know, I'm not saying you're talking about me your whole life. Please don't. Um, We continue to live out of the pain of our past experience and our disappointments. We see others as obstacles and hindrances. We see others with suspicion and caution or as a means to an end rather than as people to love as Christ has first loved us. Pete Scazzaro in this chapter says uh, about writing about this course, he says, we wanted to see people move from defensiveness, reactivity and fear to openness, empathy and vulnerability. We realised that we needed to experience a new kingdom way of relating that was outside our comfort zone. Practising new skills will cause a level of discomfort initially. They are easy to understand but difficult to implement. By repeatedly practising mature godly behaviours, we have seen people freed from lifelong cycles of emotional immaturity. They have served as a helpful link in moving people into becoming mothers and fathers of the faith. We can talk a lot about and read a lot about in the scriptures and nothing can change. Nothing can change. And I think that would be deeply sad. Again, so Peter, and this is Peter Scazzaro's work and um, so I'm using the framework that he's offered. So he offers some powerful but basic principles. Um, in, in conversations and in learning to love. Speaking and listening. So when we're in conversation, particularly when we're in conflict or struggle or intention, uh, particularly when we want to um, have a conversation, difficult conversation with someone, we use I language. I feel. I felt. I didn't understand. I dot, 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 dot. When we're listening, we learn to clarify and reflect or if we haven't finished speaking, we say, I just need to finish. Or when we have finished, I've finished speaking now. Just some basic common courtesy kind of things. He talks about the Bill of Rights. I've been trying to think of another language that I, don't, I didn't find this word particularly helpful. But uh, what's a conversation framework? He, he shares the, the nature of conversation um, and how they set up their house and what are the important things in their home. Consider how we treat one another, most basically. We give each other privacy. We learn to allow people to express themselves. We allow feedback and we hear feedback. We treat one another as people made in the image of God. Stop mind reading. I I love this one. I love this one. We need to check our assumptions and live in truth. What was actually said or not said? Did I actually check out of the conversation at some point and start inserting what I thought someone was saying? 
Or did I go away and think about it later and then take what they said and fuel it by a whole lot of ugliness or past experiences that they've got nothing to do with, but I heard it through the lens of my parents or my spouse or my children or my grandparents. And so it becomes this whole huge thing rather than simply going back and say, can I just check? Because you said this and I'm hearing that through a particular lens. Clarify expectations. Huge in conversations. Um, The conscious expectations. Know what's being communicated. Know what's being asked. Know when we want things done by. Because again, I can sit at the traffic lights. I can sit at the intersection. I think, yep, there's a space there. Now I'm not in that car. And that's how we often we operate in relationships. We get frustrated at each other because we don't think they're taking the opportunities or because they're not speaking in a way that we think they should be behaving. Clarify the expectations, the conscious expectations that are realistic, that are communicated and that are agreed. So we can communicate our expectations, but has the other person heard it and does the other person agree with it? Or do they want to fry or change some things? And know your allergies and your triggers. What sets you off? Why do you react that way when someone says that? Why do you react that way when? What's happening there? Where's that come from? What's the, what's the lie I've become convinced about? And what are the causes in that? What are the triggers? What, how does that make you feel? What makes you feel? And what do you actually need in that? It's a very, like I say... If you got the book based on this chapter, I'm doing it in a small snapshot. I'm happy to have a conversation afterwards or Jared is or anyone else doing the course. I'd love to have a conversation with you. Growing into spiritually mature, healthy, emotionally healthy adults, we need to learn to love well. Because for all the theory and all the times we've read scriptures, you know, we're, we're on a sliding scale, aren't we? <laughs> Sometimes we do it well and other times, no. And this is why we've given so much energy to this this year um, that we want to deepen our relationships in a safe and God-honouring way rather than simply in a transactional way. Rather than simply, oh, well, I'll show up and I'll just sit back or I'll show up and I'll just do what suits me and then I'll go home kind of thing. We want to participate in life-giving, transforming, honouring relationships. And so this year we're doing the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality um, believe that we're heading, if you haven't been able to do the course this year, uh, we're looking at doing it in term one of uh, 2023. And then in term two of 2023, we're going to be looking at what it looks like to be an emotionally healthy relationship. So we're going to unpack this a little bit further. Because I think all of us would recognise our need for healthy relationships healthier relationships. See, our world, our community, our workplaces, our neighbourhoods and our families need life-giving and transformational examples of emotionally healthy and spiritual mature relationships. And it requires people of faith. It requires a church seeking to love as Christ has first loved us. And that requires a level of sacrifice. 
It will mean that people will take us for granted. It will mean that people will take our expressions for granted. They will be suspicious. They will accuse us of things of not doing enough or, not, or doing too much. There will be all sorts of accusations made. They will be defensive and cautious. But the invitation, whatever, however people respond, is that we keep following Jesus. Even when others don't, and especially when others might fall away. Because they will. This isn't about perfection, but a willing obedience to love one another as Christ has first loved us.